good morning. It's always great to see you all here today. And uh, so it's just incredible each and every Sunday that we get to gather as a church family, um, dive into God's holy word and, and be transformed uh, by his truth and by his power. You know, Corey, over the last several weeks, first of all, Corey said that his time was only about 60 seconds. And by his measure, I shouldn't be but five minutes this morning in Revelation, all right? So, um, last several weeks, he's been uh, sharing with you and, and encouraging you to go online uh, and um, uh, let us know if you'd be attending today's luncheon for our new divorce care ministry that we'll be launching in January. Uh, and let me also just say a word about that and encouragement. I'm so excited about this ministry. Um, but also, if you did not register but would still like to come, maybe you've, you've been through a divorce in the past, you're in the midst of one now, or you just have a heart for that ministry, uh, whether you want to be a, a part of that ministry or you want to be in leadership for that ministry uh, at, at any level, I would invite, encourage and invite you to come today. That'll be, we'll have a luncheon and just informational meeting following our second a worship service, so depending on how long Corey goes in announcements next time, around 1130-ish, all right, we'll be down uh, in our children's wing in room 100. Uh, but again, if you have any interest at all, we have extra food there, but if you didn't sign up and come on anyway, just get your food last, all right, let those who registered get theirs. Uh, but I would love not only to, to share with you uh, this new ministry opportunity and, and, and what we're going to be doing together as a church, but also the leadership involved in it, but also just a time for me as pastor to hear from you. Uh, those who have been through that are, are in the process of that and, and how we can best minister as a church. With that said, we're going to jump in this morning. We find ourselves week 49 of 51, our journey through the New Testament together. And yes, as I've been saying, uh, since we launched this thing around Christmas time, we're going to be in Revelation. And here we are, right? Now, uh, you may recall also last week, uh, I'd said that I'd kind of backed up a little bit. So this week, if you're following the reading plan, either on the bookmark or the uh, church app or uh, the church website, either way, then you read uh, the first six chapters of Revelation leading into today. And this week, you'll be in chapter 7 through 12. I know I've heard from some of you that were lagging behind and said you were glad that, uh, that I had kind of backed up because it kind of got you back on track. <clears throat> but also last week, as I said, the reason I was doing that, I was going to preach from Jude. I wanted to preach at least one message from uh, all 27 books of the New Testament. So that kind of backed me up a little bit. But I said we would take, and we did last week, uh, an expositional look at that small letter, a small book, about 600 words. So we pretty much went word for word through that uh, entire letter. Folks, that's not possible in Revelation. All right, I've got three messages in the entire book uh, of Revelation. Uh, and, and I can't do justice. In fact, I'm going to disappoint a lot of you because you want to know what each little thing stands for and what that means, what that, and each of the seven churches and all those lampstands and every one of those stars. And, and I can't do it for you. All right, I can't do it in three. We'll, we'll circle back around to this uh, in the years ahead, I promise you, in a more uh, detailed study. But, but understand this too. My role uh, is, is your pastor is not only to teach, that certainly is a great part of that, but as pastor and shepherd as well, but it's also to lead, to lead you to be equipped, uh, for you to be encouraged and even excited, not to just come and be fed God's word once a week, but to feed yourself from God's Word. And that's what we've been doing through this study. And that's really what I want to do today is kind of lay that foundation for your time of reading and study uh, in the book of Revelation. You know, when it comes to Revelation, I, I find people are pretty much in one of two categories or camps, if you will. There are those who are absolutely intrigued by Revelation. 
Right, I got any people here that are just intrigued, fascinated by it, right? Uh, a lot of people find themselves there. They're just, they're intrigued by it. In fact, I have people all the time, when are you going to preach on Revelation? Man, I want to hear me, I want to hear about that Revelation. I'm listening to so-and-so. I've read these 20 books on Revelation. They're just intrigued by it, and, and rightfully so, I am as well. But then you've got the other side, the other camp, that those who are intimidated by Revelation. Got any people intimidated by it here today? Come on, be honest. There you go, okay, right? Uh, Typically, it's a little of both, isn't it? We're intrigued and we're intimidated. Now, there are some who really are on that intimidation and they just don't know what to do with it. It's like, well, those first 26 books of the New Testament, love them, right? All about it. We get to that last one, Revelation, and it's like, you know, it's Christmas time, Christmas dinner. Everybody's got that weird uncle that comes. You don't really know what to do with him. You know what I mean? He's at the table, but you just don't know how to engage, right? Uh, and we treat Revelation like that. It's there, but man, I'm just intimidated by the language, the imagery, all that. And so we avoid it. And we should do now. We, we should be intrigued, but, but we shouldn't be intimidated by God's word. And so what I want us to do is look at what revelation is in the, over these three weeks, but also what it is not. Right? And let's begin here. It is revelation, not revelations. All right? I know that's hard in the South. For some reason, we've just got that fascination. But, but it is revelation. It's a single revelation that was given to a single man for the churches, right? It is revelation. It's a letter written to a specific group of people at a specific time in history. And while it is also, and certainly for us today, right, it cannot mean for us what it didn't mean to them. The original audience, right? It cannot. It was written uh, for us, but the letter was not written to us, right? And, and so to say that, listen, if Jesus tarries another 2,000 years, there's still a message for the church. Amen? The, the church of 4,000, if Jesus tarries, right? The year 4,000, there's still a message in Revelation for them, right? We, we understand this. So, so the key question then as we dive into this uh, intriguing, fascinating, and somewhat intimidating book, we ask ourselves this question. What was John trying to communicate to his original audience, right? What was he trying to communicate to his original audience? And listen, if you can grasp a hold of that, then you have a pretty good idea that will carry you through your study and readings in the rest of Revelation. And let me say this too, if your interpretation today would have made no sense then, then likely your interpretation of Revelation is in error, okay? If, if, it, if what you believe about Revelation made no sense at the time that John was writing it, then likely your interpretation is in error. Another mistake is to read Revelation as though it's some kind of vague treasure map. Right, that's just taking us through and giving these little little, little nuggets uh, along the way that's, that's leading us to some future person to identify and it's all there or some future event to identify in history. If we go at it kind of like that, that treasure map, uh, then we'll never find God. God will not reveal his message to you through revelation. You, you'll miss the point. I mean, every generation has experienced some, so, some form of suffering uh, at the highest of levels or, or some kind of terror that causes them to think, oh, without a doubt, that's the Antichrist, right? I mean, my goodness, you go through history. If Nero, Hitler, Stalin, many, if they weren't, hey, let's throw in Osama bin Laden, right? Hey, if they were not the Antichrist, then, then who knows, right? I mean, every generation has that person that, man, it seems to fit the bill, and yet it's not. Now, can I say this too, as long as I'm 
uh, tearing people up here right now. Uh, debit cards and vaccines are not the mark of the beast. I don't care what you read on the internet. <laughs> Listen, debit cards and vaccines are not the mark of the beast, right? It will come. It will be there. They're not them. And Morgan Freeman can't decode it for you either, okay? I know there's a lot on TV, right? Uh, but I'm just telling you, Morgan Freeman is not the one to decode it. Um, I, I couldn't, as, as I was doing my study, I, I, I was thinking through all this. and Imagine the people living in North Korea, uh, Iraq, uh, China, uh, India, for, for the last 200 years, 100 years, right? Uh, imagine them, who, who, who there they live in, in that time period, starving, imprisoned, beaten, and even killed for their faith or for their uh, political stance, right? Imagine what, what, what they have faced, and yet they were not in the final days right? And then all of a sudden here in America, we have a little supply chain issue. And without a doubt, it's the end times. I mean, my 12 ply toilet paper can't get here the minute it's supposed to. Jesus is coming, right? Right? So it's important to, to understand every generation has that. And so our, our tendency then to, as we, as we read or study Revelation, is to ignore the first century Christians, and the first century church that it was actually written to, right? And we jump directly into God's message for us today. And what that does doing so, then that, that places you in the last days, in the last hours, and implies that God was not actually writing to the first century church. Now, can I say this? Is it the last time? It is. And it will be until Christ returns. Amen. From the time of his resurrection until the time he comes again, we are in those last days. But to think this moment and try to rob that from those of the past, well, that's in error. I read this according to a French biographical dictionary that was printed in the late 18th century. It said this, that John Calvin admitted that he wasn't sure what to do with the book of Revelation. And therefore, he did not write a commentary on it. Now, if one of the fathers of Reformation <laughs> were to say, you know, it's just too much for me, right? Then I, I, I would caution us and those that we entrust today to say we have the absolute truth when it comes to Revelation. Now, can I say this in fairness to Calvin? He died at the age of 55, right, at an early age. He also didn't write commentary on 2nd or 3rd John either, right? So did he say that? It's possible. There's some debate whether he did, actually said that or whether it, it was taken out of context. Um, I tend to believe that, that that could be true, but uh, most likely because of the depth of study required to write a commentary on Revelation, the poor fellow just didn't live long enough, right? But, but either way, we know this, he didn't touch it. And so be cautious of anyone who you read online or, 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 their, or their books or you listen to them on the radio or see them on TV that says, I have got it all figured out. And I can tell you every detail of Revelation. All I can tell you is I would run from such a person. Amen? Now, I, I know I'm just, I'm just, just offending everybody today, aren't I? Let me also say this. Revelation, right, as John gives it, Revelation uses figurative language as well as literal language, right? It, it uses both. A great example of this would be in Revelation 17, 9, when John talks about a woman who sits on seven hills. 
Now, if that were literal, that's a big woman, right? Now, he saw something, and he's relaying that to us, but surely that's some figurative language there, or some, maybe some very small hills. I, I don't know. But, but what am I trying to get at? Your interpretive process, right? How you engage this text is absolutely critical. You know, when we were in the, in the Gospels and we were in the, in the study of the book of Acts, I repeatedly said, you have to understand the difference between descriptive and prescriptive text, right? There are times uh, when the Bible is describing something that took place at that specific time in history to that person or to those people, right? There are other times that it is prescribing what we are to do as modern day believers and followers of Jesus Christ. Right? The Gospels tell us that Peter walked on water for a short time. That is describing what actually happened. Peter, in the presence of Jesus, literally walked on water. But he's not prescribing for us today. Listen, if you have faith, you can walk on water. And if you sink, well, you don't have enough faith. Not at all. Yet, Matthew and Mark, when we get the Great Commission, Jesus ascending into heaven, he says what? Going to all the world, preaching, teaching the good news, baptizing those, right? Giving that great commission for us to go and share and show the good news to everyone. That is describing an event that took place and prescribing our mission as a church and a believer today. And so we have to understand that and we have to place all that in order, and especially when you look at both figurative and, and, and literal language and text that is used in Revelation. But it all begins with your starting point. How do you begin your study in this deep and intense book? You may remember when we were studying Hebrews. Remember, and I said then that if you go at Hebrews strictly looking through a lens of Calvinism or Arminianism, right? Seeking to qualify either justification or the loss of salvation. If you go into it with, with that narrow focus, you'll, you, you'll get some evidence to, to back up what you believe. But in taking strictly a soteriological approach to the text, you'll miss the meaning of the letter. That is Christology. The person of Jesus Christ. That was the purpose of Hebrews. So, so we could understand greater who Jesus Christ is. The same thing with James. If, if you go into it just looking for a salvation of works, you'll find what you're looking for. But you'll miss the big picture. And so it is with Revelation. Listen, if you begin your reading or your study with an incorrect, preconceived objective of what it is you're looking for from the text, you'll probably find what you're looking for. But you'll miss the main point. And so with that said, let me, let me kind of share this for you. And I know today seems more like a, a lecture class perhaps than a sermon, but there, there's so much that I want to lay of your groundwork today. There are, ba there are basically four, and I call it four and a half, uh, interpretive approaches to Revelation. These are all in the church app for you this morning as well. But I want to hit those real quick. And this is how we interpret the text and where we begin our study. The first is known as a, a preterist approach, right? That's a contemporary historical, if you will. And it strictly says that Revelation is just a historical document, right? And has a belief that all events were fulfilled either during Nero or Domitian's rule and certainly by the destruction of Jerusalem. Therefore, it has no message whatsoever to modern believers to us today. Its roots are with the Jesuits and still alive and well in the Roman Catholic Church today. But that's the preterist approach. The second is a, historic, a historicist approach, right? It's continuous historical, if you will. And it views Revelation to kind of be a panorama, if you will, of the church from the apostolic age until Christ returns, right? Now, with that, uh, people who hold to a, a, a historicist viewpoint will also have a post-millennial view, 
meaning they believe that Christ will return at the end of the millennial age, right? Both Martin Luther uh, as well as John Wycliffe uh, held to this same view. The third is known as an idealistic or an idealist. It focuses on the symbolic, right? It's a viewpoint of this ongoing battle between good and evil, right? Between God and Satan, right? But it is not, they believe, historically rooted, right? It it really came out, its roots are in the Greek philosophy. And so they view the entire book of Revelation just as symbol or metaphor and absolutely non-literal. Then you have your fourth and final approach to interpretation. And that's the the futurist approach, right? And and, and I say kind of four and a half because I break this out into two. Uh, And and the futurist just says Revelation speaks of future events, uh, events that that, that are yet to unfold. But really there are are two separations. There's the extreme futurist, right? That that just says future events uh, uh, of the church completely, right? And, And really discount then any message to the first century church. But then there's the modified futurist. The modified futurist believes that most of the book speaks to future events, but not exclusively. And there was a message to the church, even in John's day, and certainly to us today. Now, I identify with this approach, basically saying that the first three chapters uh, of Revelation are focused on John's day, though it speaks of past, present, and future. And then the remaining chapters 4 through 22 through through the end of Revelation are focused, though there is past, present, and future, but primarily on future events to unfold. And that's where I land, right? Now, let, let me say this. When it comes to interpreting the book of Revelation, we can agree to disagree, right? You can be wrong. There's no problem in that. <laughs> there, there are all, I'm teased. There are all kinds of differing opinions. with. But what is important is that we agree on what we said in our study through Acts, and that is that we are unified in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We understand that God made all man. We understand that that man fell, that we allowed sin into our life, and and, and all men have sinned since that day because of that. And God's redemption plan is what we celebrate on Christmas, and that is the advent or the birth of Jesus Christ, his son, and our savior. And only can our sins be forgiven through a relationship with him as our Lord and savior. He came in that manger, and he's coming again one day in the clouds, right? As long as we can agree on that, then we can agree to disagree in some of the intricacies, let's say, of the book of Revelation. Now, let me also say this. It's helpful as you read this book, uh, study through this, that, that you have some additional resources, some kind of commentary. I certainly wear them out, right? Uh, you need some commentary to go along with I find, for me, in my study... Uh, as I read and study through this, both Charles Ryrie and Danny or Daniel Aiken, for modern day, my, my seminary president, uh, their works to be very succinct, uh, very easy to follow, uh, and within that same modified futurist uh, approach as well. John MacArthur also has a ton of commentary. Uh, on the book of Revelation. Matter of fact, I think he almost thinks he's got it figured out, right? Uh, but, but a great study also and, and some great resources. So with that said, yes, let's finally jump into the text. Revelation chapter 1, I'm going to start with the first three verses. The revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave him, talking about Jesus, to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, whatever he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. 
And blessed are those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep what is written in it because the time is near. Well, let's jump in. He opens up there in verse 1. He tells us this. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ given to Jesus Christ to show the servants of Jesus Christ what must take place. Friends, the book of Revelation, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. He came and he's coming again. And that's the point and that's the purpose of Revelation. The book, though, uh, it, it, the way it unfolds, what, what takes place then, God reveals this revelation of Jesus Christ to John. And kind of pulls back the curtain, if you will, to, to give man, through John, a kind of a sneak peek at God's plan for all of human history and eternity. But friends, make no mistake, standing at center stage is Jesus. In all your studies, at center stage is Jesus. Went to a play for one of our, our church kids in, in a public school here uh, this past week, Friday. And uh, I couldn't help it as the play was going on. You know, they, uh, they're doing their best. And they, they black out the stage, right? They turn all the lights off behind stage. Uh, they'll, they'll close the curtain, but they can't ever get the thing completely closed. You know, I don't know what that is. There's always a gap there, right? And there's enough light that the, the, the people on stage can move things around. And are you like me? You're looking. Like, what's back there? You know, there's a little bit of light. Is that a desk? It must be a school scene. Is that a tractor tire? I bet they're going to be outside. You, you know, so, so you're looking, you get just a, a little bit of a, a nugget, right? Uh, and you just, you, you're trying to determine when the, when the curtain opens and the light kicks on, what's going to be on stage. Does anybody else do that? Yeah, okay, good, right? Uh, we, we do. Well, that's what John's getting, right? Just a little bit of a, a glimpse into this. Another thing I noticed at that play, whoever the main speaker was, they weren't standing over here. They weren't standing back there. They are right up here. The main character was front and center, center stage during every scene, right? During every skit, that main character, if they did not start at center stage, they would make their way there. Jesus is center stage in the book of Revelation. Now he opens up that, uh, the, the word revelation. It's not only the name of the book, but it's also, if you look at the Greek text, it is the first word. There, there's nothing before it there, just revelation. And the Greek word there, apocalypsis, right? And it simply means to uncover or to reveal. And John, like I said, he's given this glimpse of something. He's seeing something that's impossible for him to explain. He's seen it, but he just can't describe it. And so what John does is he uses imagery here, not bullet points. He can't tell us here's what it looked like and here's what it means because we wouldn't understand that. And so, to the best of his ability, and he uses imagery to describe what is indescribable, right? That's what John was tasked with, which is why often, as you, read full, or as you read through it, he'll say, it looked like this, or something like this, right? But because he can't tell you exactly what it is or what he has seen. And I was thinking through for us today, can you imagine if you were tasked with trying to describe a beautiful sunset to a person that was born blind? Can you, can you imagine somebody born blind their whole life? And I believe sunsets are some of the most beautiful imagery on God's planet. And trying to explain to them what a perfect, beautiful sunset looks like. And you, you, you'd make the mistake of starting out, well, it's kind of a dark blue on top, and then it kind of transitions into an orange. And a, oh, wait, you don't know colors. You're talking to a blind person. 
So what would you do? You, you would try to tap on their other senses, right? And you'd say, okay, do you ever touch something that's really cold like a piece of ice? And that's kind of that idea of blue. And the top of the sky is kind of that cool color. Uh, but the sun, if you've ever touched something that's hot, that's kind of a, a red. And that's the color. You know, you, you would do things like that or you'd put a, a ball in their hand and say that, you know, that represents the sun. And imagine it cut in half and going down over the horizon. And you would do all you could to paint the best picture possible. And at the end of the day, They'd never see what you see. Maybe they'd have an idea. Maybe you'd do a fantastic job, but they'd never really get the full picture that, that your eyes have taken in. Well, that was John's task. That's what he had to do. He's describing some of these beasts. Can you imagine me telling you about, about a beast today like we see here and say, man, this thing is enormous. It, it weighs 4,000 pounds. Its heart is two foot wide, two foot across the heart of this thing. The tongue of this beast has a black tongue that's almost two feet long. At the top of this massive beast on his giant head are, are horns that come out and they're covered with hair. And this beast has the, the skin like a leopard. Like, what in the world is that? Right? And your mind's going a million ways. If I said that thing had a long neck and long feet, oh, wait a minute, you're talking about a giraffe? See, if you've seen a giraffe, then what I'm telling you makes sense. You don't think anything about it. But if you've never seen a giraffe, or if I hadn't told you that's what that, your mind goes wild, right? And, and that's what happens as we read through this text. John is describing the indescribable. The great uh, Baptist preacher of the 19th century, Charles Spurgeon, he remarked that only fools and madmen are positive in their interpretation of the apocalypse. That's it. Charles Spurgeon said, hey, if anybody tells you they got it figured out, they're crazy, right? Uh, I don't have it all figured out, but we're going to do our best to study as God would have to do. What is the message in that day and for us today? But the greatest mistake people make, it's kind of like we do at Christmas. You know, we get all excited about everything going on, but if we're not careful... Christmas can become more about the presents, uh, the food, the gatherings, and we'll lose our focus that Christmas is really all about Christ. You know, we, we can do that with Revelation. If we just focus on symbolism and, and prophecy and all this imagery, we'll forget that it's Jesus who's center stage. He continued in his letter in verse 3 there and said that God speaks prophecy through John. Now, it's also important to understand that word prophecy. That, that is a noun, right? And it refers to God speaking in regard to the outworking of his will. It's his plans for man, for mankind, for all of eternity that he speaks through man. That, that's what prophecy is, right? But now understand this. God's prophecy can be past, present, and future. You know, we often think that prophecy is just talking about the things to come. God's prophecy is his truth and his will for man, his plans for us, his outworking of his will, past, present, and future. Certainly that was true in the book of Genesis, right? When he gave prophecy to, uh, to, to Moses about the beginning of all things that happened hundreds of years before Moses was ever born. So his prophecy is past, present, and future. One of the greatest places we see that laid out is in Revelation chapter 12. The entire chapter, all 17 verses, but I'm, I'm going to focus on just the first six because really it's the Christmas story that's found in Revelation. 
It says this, a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in labor and agony as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven. There was a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and 10 horns, and on its heads were seven crowns. Its tail swept away a third of the stars in heaven and hurled them to the earth. And the dragon stood in front of the woman as she was about to give birth, so that when she did give birth, it might devour her child. She gave birth to a son, a male who is going to rule all nations with an iron rod. Her child was caught up to God, up to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness where she had had a place prepared by God to be nourished for 1,260 days. This is the Christmas story in Revelation, right? Now, this Christmas story, it didn't begin in Bethlehem, but in the Garden of Eden. We're going to look in Genesis here in just a few weeks, that, that proto-evangelium, that, that the gospel was there in the beginning. Christ was there. Christ is the point, not only in this book of Revelation, but in all of Scripture. And he was there. It began in the Garden of Eden, this Christmas story. And this Christmas story, it didn't end with wise men coming from afar, but instead with Jesus uh, uh, resurrecting and ascending to his throne and with a promise of his return. That 1260 days there is speaking into the midpoint of the tribulation period. And so it is past, present, and future. Let's keep reading in verse 4 of Revelation 1. He continues, John, now the, the writer John, to the seven churches in Asia, grace and peace to you from the one who is, who was, and who is to come. And from the seven spirits before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead. And the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has set us free from our sins by his blood. And made us a kingdom. Priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Look, verse 7. He is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, the one who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. This is this letter written, verse 4 tells us, written to a specific people at a specific time in history. This letter of John was written, understand this, in the mid-90s. Now, that's not the 1990s, right? The actual 90s. And there's going to be no document, docu-series about loving these 90s, I promise you. You know, we see on TV all the time, oh, I miss the 90s. Bring uh, you know, all the, the great things of the 90s. You're not going to find that from these 90s, right? The, the, the church had been, at this point, under horrific persecution, Persecution began with the stoning of Stephen, but over the past 30 years uh, prior to John writing this letter of uh, the Revelation, it had intensified worse and worse and worse. Nero then launched these brutal attacks from the Roman Empire from around 55 A.D. all the way through the mid-60s A.D. Now, before that, you think of it, it was the Jews who were really attacking Jews. They were using the Roman guards and empire, right? Right. But now the attacks were coming directly from Rome. 
And as Nero took his own life, his successors continued and even intensified these attacks to wipe Christianity from the earth, feeding Christians to wild animals, literally lighting them on fire. John, they even attempted to kill him by putting him in a vat, a, a massive basin of boiling oil. And yet he would not die. He could not die because God still had revelation to speak through him. And so when they took him out of the oil, it had to be blistered, right? Uh, but, but nonetheless, they, they could do nothing with him. So they, they then put him on this Isle of Patmos, where, where there he would work in the mines as literally a slave laborer. Now, there are all kinds of theories. Did, Don die, did, did John die on this island or did, later did he go to Ephesus? And we don't know the answer to that specifically. But what we do understand is John, at the time of this letter, man, he understood what persecution was. If anyone thought this has to be the last days, it had to be the man who was plucked out of boiling oil for his faith and commissioned now to slave labor on this horrific island. At this point, likely John is the last of all of the apostles, all others likely martyred by this time. If you keep reading in, in verse 9 through 11, he continues, he said, I, John, your brother and partner in the affliction. He understood that affliction. He said, listen, I have faced it myself in the affliction, the kingdom, and the endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. He was there all because of his faith in Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard a loud voice behind me like a trumpet saying, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches. Pay attention. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. These are seven actual cities that are recorded here in that verse. Seven actual cities that had seven actual churches in John's day. But not only was it for that church in that day, but also what you're going to see as you, as you read through the scripture, the same issues the church faced then are the same issue the church faces today. Not only was it for the churches of that day, but it is for the church today and for all of the future, both actual churches and the church of all time. In fact, this past week, you, you've seen that number seven repeatedly, haven't you? If you stayed in your read, seven churches, seven lampstands, which, which later are the churches. The, uh, well, that idea of seven is that uh, the number of completion or fullness, just like in creation, the seven days for all of creation to be completed. We see that repeated, laid out, the seven seals, the seven trumpets, the seven bowls. And now we see here in verse seven that he says, and understand this, he's coming back. He will return in the clouds, and when he does, to those even who pierced him. Now, he's not referring to the soldiers who pierced him, who pierced him but to the, the Jews. To the Jews who, who walked away from their Messiah, and in essence, to all people who would turn from Christ. And when he says all tribes will mourn at that time, it's anyone who is found outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. But don't miss this. He's coming on the clouds. There's been all kinds of people throughout history that say they are the Messiah. They are Jesus. Hey, it's going to be undeniable, undoubtable. When he does come back, he's coming in the clouds. I've shared before this story, but I've got to just throw it out again. 
I read about the missionaries uh, who had traveled to, to, to a remote area of Africa. And, and they, were, they, they were helping out at this orphanage. And they, they, were gonna, they were painting it and getting it all fixed up and everything. They came to the inside. And the window seals just looked horrendous in the place. And they said, we're going to start with the seals. And, and the director of the orphanage said, don't, don't waste your time. Don't waste the paint. Just, just paint the walls and everything else. Because if you paint those window seals, they're going to look just like that in a few days. The missionary said, what, what are you talking about? I said, listen, we, we, we taught this past year our kids all the way through the New Testament, right? And, and we were continually just painting this picture of, of who Jesus is, his love for them. And we got to Revelation. And when it said that Jesus is coming back one day and he's, he's coming in the clouds, these poor orphans who have nothing in this world and nothing in life to look forward to, they're so anxious for Jesus to return. It says that they're constantly in those windows looking up. Man, anytime there's a cloud, is Jesus in this one? Is today the day they're constantly in those windows? Friends, that, that's the point of Revelation. The church today, we need to be in that window, looking to the clouds because Jesus said he's coming back in those clouds. And so the point is not, what will this thing look like? Is that red dragon, that's Satan? What, what, what about this star? What does that mean? But the fact that Jesus is coming back and he's got to work for the church in the meantime. That is how we lean into. That is how we read and understand this book. He's coming again. He is the Alpha and He is the Omega. He is the beginning and He is the end. And He is not just a Christmas story. In fact, the next time He comes, it ain't going to be as a six-pound, nine-ounce little baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. It's going to be on the clouds with the archangels. And in that moment, the only thing that matters, do you know Jesus have you committed your life to them? Because in that instance, nothing else in Revelation matters. Not any of the symbolism, not, not any of the promises, nothing else. The Antichrist, that's all coming, but it won't matter. The only thing that will matter is do you know Jesus Christ?